Now, I'll repeat even what I said earlier. Um, it's such a simple song, yet, um, if that really is the prayer of our heart, I know that God will be faithful and answer that prayer. Um, it's just our decision whether we want to avail ourselves to God changing our heart or not, and to be able to live in such a way that God touches our heart. We're going to continue this morning looking at Zechariah and in chapter 13 of Zechariah. We have chapters 13 and 14 left, and next week we will conclude this book. Um, going through it for the past three months, and today we'll look at Zechariah chapter 13 and the continued prophecy that Zechariah has brought to the people of Judah. God's Word says, On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. On that day I will banish the names of the idols from the land and they will remember, they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. I will remove both the prophets and the spirit of impurity from the land and if anyone still prophesies his father and mother to whom he was born will say to him, you must die because you have told lies in the Lord's name. When he prophesies, his own parents will stab him. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his prophetic vision. He will not put on a prophet's garment of hair in order to deceive. He will say, I am not a prophet. I am a farmer. The land has been my livelihood since my youth. And if someone asks him, what are the, these wounds on your body? And he will answer, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say... The Lord is our God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, continuing with the, the song that we sang, the prayer of our heart is to change our hearts, O God, so we may be like you. We looked at Zechariah chapter 13 this morning, Lord, the prophecies that you had given to him, declared to the people of Judah that are there for us. We look to them and we look to your Holy Spirit to change our heart, to continue to renew us, to renew us into a people who are focused on you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word that you'll bring forth this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were here last week or listened to last week, and I started Zechariah chapter 12, chapters 12, 13, and 14 all go together. They're all this final prophecy that Zechariah brings forth. And again, uh, the emphasis during these chapters is on that day. And as I explained last week, I'm not going to go into a lot of details today, but I am looking at on that day as in on that day, the, com the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when he came born of a virgin, died on the cross for our sins, ascended in, into heaven. On that day, the Holy Spirit comes and the church is birthed. 
on that day when the Holy Spirit is poured out on us, on that day when Jesus Christ gave his life for us, and looking at the church age as on that day, and, and going through Zechariah uh, 12, 13, and 14 with that type of emphasis with the church age. And so we're looking at those chapters as these individual snapshots, these little photos, if you would, that he's picking up and looking at, and we're going to look at two more of them today. And so we'll be looking through with, with verses 1 through 6, and then looking at verses 7 through 9 at the end, and starting with verses 1 through 6 at these snippets of various times on that day. And so I'm going to start off with the first six verses and look at what I'm going to call a cleansing Savior, and knowing that we have Jesus Christ who has come to cleanse us from all sins and really picking up on that verse, verse 1 of that chapter. Uh, there's a song that says, Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of net mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Come thou fount of many blessing, of every blessing. And we have here in a picture of Zechariah chapter 13, on that day a fountain will be opened up. And in the Bible, if you start searching through for the word fountain, it's not a word that's in every chapter of the Bible. And depending on the translation you pick up, there's some more or some less. But a fountain comes out for us in various ways. In Nehemiah, we hear about the fountain gate. And basically, a gate that's near a fountain in Jerusalem. And and, and Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he talks about a fountain of tears. He, he's known as the weeping prophet. And Joel talks about a fountain that is flowing out of the Lord's house. And then we get to Zechariah, who says, on that day, a fountain will be opened. And so I want to look at that aspect and understand that the fountain that is open for us is the cleansing Savior who came to wash away our sins. Uh, in church, we have several songs that actually talk about fountain. I talked about Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Um, we sing some other ones. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we sing about this fountain. Uh, we, we sing words of uh, all who are thirsty, all who are weak. Come to the fountain. Let this, you know, dip your heart in the stream of life. Let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the ways of his mercy. As deep cries out to deep. Again, a fountain that is there for us to go to for cleansing. And a fountain is an image. You can picture the image. A fountain is this beautiful place where someone could go and this beautiful crystal clear water is being poured out. And we get an image of on that day a fountain will be opened up to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse from all impurity. Jesus Christ coming and shedding his blood on the cross so we could be washed clean from all of our sin, from all of our shame, to be set free from the burden of sin. And we have this beautiful image that's given to us that we also sing about. Um, back in March, when I was in Luzerne, Switzerland, and one of the privileges of where I work, and we travel around the world now and then, except for the last, whatever it is, eight months, nine months, it seems everything in the world has come to a stop. But I, the last place I was at was, was in Luzerne, Switzerland, and then from there in um, you know, in Basel and then in Luzerne and then a place in Germany. But they had these beautiful old fountains. And we went on a tour of Luzerne. 
on a Saturday, and, and they showed us these beautiful fountains that are there. Some have statues, some have just fancy design, and the beautiful crystal water is coming out of them. Now, I know for me and you, if we were in downtown Newville and we have the fountain, none of us would think about walking up to it and drinking out of it. I don't think so. It's the last thing we think. But in these beautiful fountains that they have, they have pipes that run miles and miles up to the mountains where the springs are. And this spring water is then brought all the way down into the city, and they come out of these fountains. And the tour guide said, sure, go ahead. People come up and they fill up their bottles of water. They drink right from the fountain. This cleansing, beautiful crystal water just poured out. And it reminded me as I was thinking about on that fountain where God's love for us is so great to be able to pour out his fountain of forgiveness over us. So refreshing, so pure, so clean. It's this beautiful image we have of this fountain of poured out for us and this fountain that is opened up to cleanse us from sin and impurity. When the cleansing of God hits our lives, the last place we want to run is back into the mud puddle. And I want to go back through this, especially when we get to the end of this chapter. But the last place we run, want to run is back into the mud puddle. And in verse 2 highlights this for us where the idols and the sins, the, the idols of the land, the sin of the land will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. I will remove both the prophets and, uh, the, and the spirit of impurity from the land. When we come and we receive the cleansing of Jesus Christ, the fountain that was opened up for us, the last place you want to run, the last place you want to go is back into the impurity. I don't, I don't go and trample on the cross all over again. I don't go out and purposefully sin just so I can get more forgiveness. No. I mean, Paul says, no, 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 we don't do that. And so we have, again, this image in verse 2 that he'll banish the idols from our lives. He'll banish the sin from our lives. We'll turn from our sin. We'll repent and we'll turn from our wicked ways and, and then follow Jesus Christ. Does that mean that I'll be perfect? Does that mean that you'll be perfect? No, but it's not something that I'm pursuing anymore. Our desire is to be like God to follow God, to allow God's graces to be imparted into our lives. And so we chase after God and are not chasing idols anymore. If someone would bring an idol into this church, if someone would bring in something that was completely against the gospel of, of Jesus Christ into this church, we very quickly would say, no way, we're not listening. I mean, are there biblical things that we discuss and go back and forth on and try and figure out? Sure we do. But if someone came in on, on a Sunday morning and he said, Pastor Ralph, I have an announcement to make. I know that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. I would say, there's the door. I'm not going to allow that kind of a false prophet to come into the church. And neither would you. If someone said to you, oh, Jesus really didn't die on the cross, you would say, uh, uh, I'm not listening. You stick your fingers in your ear. You would remove that false prophecy from you because your lives are now focused on Jesus Christ and focused on what God wants to do in our lives. I want to give you an image from the New Testament of how this comes true in our lives about getting rid of the, the sin in our lives, getting rid of the things that are old. And we find it in Acts chapter 19. There's a reaction to the cleansing of God, to the fountain of God. We have this reaction that happens in Acts chapter 19. And here's the reaction of the cleansing of God, starting in verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Wow, wouldn't it be great if we just held the name of the Lord Jesus in high honor? But this is what they were doing. And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. And a number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them. 
publicly. And when he calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Put it in context, the drachmas is about a day's pay. They burned their sin. They went back to their homes and said, this was against God. This, these are idols. These are things we shouldn't have anymore. And they got rid of the sin in their lives because they are now focused on God and the forgiveness of God that came in their lives. 50,000 days of wages they burned in the burn barrel because they now knew that sin was gone and their lives were back focused on Jesus Christ. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. As we allow the cleansing of God to permeate throughout the church, no longer would we allow anything to stand against the cleansing power of God in our lives. We will not allow sin to stand in our way. In Zechariah's day, if a false prophet was there in Zechariah's day, they would scar themselves. And we get an image of this back in in when Elijah was confronting the prophets of Baal. If you go back into Kings and you read that story of Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel, what were the prophets of Baal doing? They were calling out for Baal to light the fire, to light the fire on the altar. And the Bible literally tells us that they would start cutting themselves and scarring themselves because that's the way that they were worshiping a false prophet and worshiping an idol. And so as they scarred themselves and cut themselves, and here we have again in Zechariah where we had this whole image of, oh, how did you get those cuts? Oh, I'm a farmer. I'm not really a false prophet. We would not allow deceit to come into our midst because we're standing for Jesus Christ. I don't think of us, you know, would ever wake up in the morning and say, I want to offend anybody. But we get into this whole offense as we get into verse 3. Very confusing. If anyone prophesies his father and mother to whom he is born, he will say to him, you must die because you have told lies in the Lord's name. When he prophesies, his own parents will stab him. A very strange verse, but it's a reality in the Christian life. It's a reality in the Christian life. While this verse may seem very strange to us, when we start to stand for righteousness, when we start to stand for holiness, when we start to stand for purity in our lives, what things won't we allow in our lives? And it's very interesting as you look at this. Matthew chapter 10, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus actually says in Matthew 10, 21 and 22, he says, Brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Does that sound similar to Zechariah? It does sound very similar to me of Zechariah 12.3. Where a parent would put a child to death. Or a child would put a parent to death. When there would be separation. Where there would be division between a parent and a child. How many of you have raised teenagers and have found them to be a little bit rebellious? Maybe some of you are walking through that right now. And there's a certain aspect, in the, you know, a certain point in the evening where you say, I'd like to kill him. Thank God that his grace is wrong me and I never did. But we have those aspects in our lives and they come about because of a division, not on a way of just looking at life. They come on a division because we're pursuing holiness, we're pursuing righteousness, we're pursuing the ways of God and the cleansing of God has hit our lives. And thus we say, this cannot happen in my house. You come into my house and you start swearing up a storm, I'm going to ask you to change your language or find the front door. It's not the way that you would speak in my house. Why? Because I consider my house to be a place of God. 
to be a place where righteousness and holiness should come forward. And so there's a, there are things that would not be tolerated in my house. If you came into my house and you were visiting from out of town and you were a boyfriend and a girlfriend, I would find separate bedrooms for you to sleep in because I would not feel right having the boyfriend and the girlfriend sleeping in the same bedroom in the house. See, there are certain standards that we would bring forward. And what do those standards do? They create division. They create heartache. Even between mother and child, even between father and child, even between cousin and cousin, even between worker at work and another worker at work, it brings division because we're actually standing for the gospel. And we're standing for gospel truth. And so I see this verse coming forward even through the words of Jesus. Are we out there trying to put somebody to death? No. But it does bring death to relationships quite often because our moral standards don't wash anymore with someone else's. And all of a sudden you wonder why, oh, everybody's out at the party and they didn't invite me. They didn't invite you because you're standing for something that no longer fits in their lives. And that's where God does want us to be, is to make sure we're standing for holiness and righteousness. I don't think any of us wake up in the morning and say, let me see who I can tick off today. I hope you don't wake up in the morning and say, let me see if I can tick so-and-so off. No, it's not how we walk, wake up in the morning and that's not how we live our lives. But when we're living our lives for Jesus Christ, when we have the cleansing Savior who has touched our lives, when we're taking a stand for God, we become more and more offensive to the world. Our light is shining, but our offense because of our light shining becomes more and more offensive to the world, to our country, to our, to our city, to our families. And that, that becomes more and more offensive. I was thinking about letting our light shine before men and, and our cleansing that Jesus Christ gives to us. And he says, go let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And I was thinking about that in this context of a, of, of a parent against a child and all of this division and, and a prophet that is hiding out and thinking about that. And I said, you know, there's an aspect. You, you hold up a light. There are people who will run from that light because they want to be in darkness. When you hold up a light, there are people who will come to the light because they want to be in the light in the same way you are, and it attracts them. But then there's another group of people who want to destroy the light. So I'm not just comfortable running to the darkness. I want to get rid of the light. But God still calls us to be a light and allow the cleansing power of God, the cleansing Savior to touch our lives and to change us and to make us into who he wants us to be. To change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. And that's the cleansing power that comes from the Savior. I want to jump into the next verses and move from having a cleansing Savior because we couldn't have a cleansing Savior unless we had a crucified Savior. And he's putting the cart before the horse, but this is the way that Zechariah presented them to us. We're going to look at verses 7 through 9 and understand that we have a crucified Savior. In verses 7 through 9, bring forth this prophesy, prophecy of Jesus Christ who died for our sins. The sword was raised against him, a wake sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me. While praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus was arrested, praying in the garden, and they came to him, the, the mob, the teachers of the law, the Roman guards, and they came to him with clubs and a sword to arrest him. 
to take and try Him and to crucify Him. When He was hanging on the cross, they thrust a spear in His side to make sure that He was dead. And He shed His blood there for each and every one of us. The sword was awoken by people like Pilate and Herod and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. That sword was awoken to destroy Jesus Christ. And in their efforts to crucify Jesus Christ, they saved the whole world. Continuing with verse 7. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Again, I think part of this verse is very familiar to us. Strike the shepherd and, my, and, my, and the sheep will be scattered. Again, back to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. As soon as Jesus was arrested, what happened to all of his followers? Off they went. They went and hid. I mean, even Peter, who hung out a little close, eventually went and hid. They, they were hiding so bad, they were locked in an upper room with the door locked. Jesus couldn't even come through the door. They were afraid to open the door for anybody to come in. He had to walk through the wall and appear to him, appear to them. The sheep would scatter. But then we have this phrase, I will turn my hand against the little ones. And it looks a little bit confusing. And I started to think about this and, and God's hand being against. And, and depending on the translation you have, it also uses the word upon. And sometimes when we think against, we think our hand against, I'm going to punish or I'm going to hurt or I'm going to destroy. And that doesn't make sense in, in God's word. Uh, his hand being against the little ones. Yeah, his hand is against them in the same way that if, if I'm walking with a little child and I'm coming up on a busy road and they try to run out and I put my hand against them and my hand is against them and I stop them. My hand is against them because I don't want them to run out in a busy ro road or in the same way. If I'm next to that little child and you come to hurt that little child in some way, my hand's going to be against them and I'm going to stand in the front of them. And you're not going to hurt the little child. And God's hand in that way is, is there against us, protecting us and holding us safe. Jesus says in Luke 12:32, Do not be afraid, little flock. Little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The power of the crucifixion of Jesus is more than sufficient to cleanse us from our sins and to protect us against anything that would come against us. It's not the hand of punishment against us. It's the hand of protection that is against us and holding us and keeping us safe. And Zechariah has promised that through his prophecy. And Jesus Christ fulfilled it through his death and resurrection. And the power of the cross continues to hold us in God's hand. As this chapter rolls towards an end, in verse 8 we have the images of two-thirds being struck down and perishing while one-third would be left. In the early church, they experienced this for reality, where the Romans, specifically the Romans and others, would come against Jerusalem and two-thirds of the city was struck down and destroyed. Christians and Jews ran for their lives to be saved. And while God's hand allows the enemies of the church to continue to come against us, God's hand also protects us in our faith so we stand strong and walk with Him and we hold on to Him. That two-thirds and one-third that we see in verse 8 was a scattering that allowed the nations all around the world to hear of the gospel. And God's work was being carried forth in that verse as it came to fruition in 70 A.D. 
So we get to the end. We get to this ninth verse. So with a cleansing Savior and a crucified Savior, we get to where we can tie this all back together again. And I I find that in verse 9 as a verse for us to just sit on, chew on, and understand about a little bit. Where God says, This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, They are my God. They are my people. And they will say, The Lord is our God. I've been preaching here now for more than five years. For quite a, quite a time. And every once in a while, just every once in a while, a song will come up to sing on Sunday mornings. I don't know if you know the song or not, but I think you would. And it's, it's Refiner's Fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy. Set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. Now, we sing that song now and then. But that, that song is verse 9. Refiner's fire. My heart's one. Is it? My heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, my master. And Zechariah is calling forth and saying, God will do this work in our lives. He will refine us. He will put us into the fire. And He will refine us and He will purify us and He will make us holy. This is the hard part of being a Christian. This is the hard part of being a Christian. Understanding that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Understanding that I am in need of a Savior. That there is sin in my life and I am in need of a cleansing Savior. We can come to those points, but then we have to get to that next point where we understand that God takes His children and puts them into the fire and purifies them and makes them into who He wants each and every one of us to be. Second Corinthians chapter 7 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. It is our willingness. It is our willingness. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. It's our willingness to jump into this. And allow God to work in us. To allow God to purify us. This verse starts off, therefore. And whenever you see therefore in the Bible, understand why it's therefore. And so I started at chapter 7 and I said, why does chapter 7 start off and say, therefore, since we have these promises? And I had to say, well, Paul, you're writing to the church in Corinth. Therefore, what do you mean therefore? What's therefore? And I started going back. I had to go all the way back to to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I just want to highlight for you of God's work in our lives. This whole thing starts off with the promises of God who delivers us. That we are to God a pleasing aroma of Christ. We have the hope of glory. We are hard-pressed on every side, persecuted, not abandoned. We await our new body when we stand in the presence of God. All of these promises are in the first part of Second Corinthians. Therefore, 
knowing that God is doing all of this great work in us and has all of this promise for us and has all of this hope for us and has all of this future for us. Therefore, therefore, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence of God. As a child of God, He will refine us and test us. Let me give you another verse. James chapter 4, verse 8. Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Interesting verse again. So we have skin in this game. I understand the work of God, and there is nothing that I can do in this world to earn salvation. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that I can do to earn salvation. It is the grace of God, the forgiveness of God from the cross of Jesus Christ, where His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins, and that is poured out for many, and many is me, and it is you, and that is the grace of God. I cannot do anything to earn the grace of God. But there is an aspect where God says, Ralph, are you going to get the skin in the game? What is your investment, Ralph, in becoming holy? And God said, I'll, I'll keep putting trials in front of you. I will keep putting these tests in front of you. I will keep putting these situations in your life. But Ralph, do you have skin in the game that you actually want to be holy? And Zechariah says, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. God will do the work of holiness in our lives as long as we're willing to jump in and get the skin in the game. And that's where God wants us to be as His followers. That's where God wants us to be as children of God. We were talking this morning and a verse came up and I marked it real quick. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Praise be to the Lord God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's a blessing in itself. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Here, here it goes. Here's the kicker. For He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. That's what God wants us to be. And I know because of the cross, God looks at each and every one of us as pure and holy. But He wants to do a great and mighty work in each and every one of us as well. And He wants us to throw off the sin that so easily entangles and to run the race with perseverance. He wants us to take time to be holy and speak often with the Lord. I'll wrap up with this. Did you know that there's a website that you can actually go to and just click a button and it will randomly find a scripture in the Bible and just throw it at you. It's pretty neat. Played with it for a couple minutes when I found this website the other day. And it's pretty neat. I mean, you have no idea what scripture verse is coming up. It's almost like a, you know, the, go through the Bible. And this one. No, <laughs> but it's a random scripture pop-up. And so I played with it the other day, and I said, well, okay, I'm in the middle of a sermon, and I'm wrapping up a sermon. Let me throw it up. And I brought the website up, and I'm going to give you the pop-up Scripture verse. It's from Revelation, chapter 7, verses 16 and 17. It's a promise that is held out before us from Revelation 7. God says, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's a beautiful promise for you and for me. When we have Jesus Christ, our crucified Savior, and are trusting in Him for His salvation, where He has cleansed us and washed away our sins, and we are holding on to Jesus Christ, from there, push ourselves forward and say, God, I want to be holy. I want to set apart those sinful things. I want to put them in the burn barrel. I want to get rid of them. I want you to do a great and mighty work in me. Refine me like silver. Test me like gold. That can be each of our prayer. And the beautiful part is the last words of Zechariah 13. Because at that point we say, the Lord is my God. The Lord is our God. Are we pursuing God? Are we chasing after God? Are we chasing after the promises of God? Find God. Can we walk out of here today? Can we walk out of here today saying, the Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you had begun a great work in each and every one of us. And Heavenly Father, I know as our crucified Savior, you shed shed your blood for our sins, for the forgiveness of many, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. May we not miss the opportunity this morning, Lord, if we do not know you as Lord and Savior in our lives, that we call on the name of Jesus to be saved. Lord, forgive me. Lord, save me. From there, enter into a beautiful relationship with our Lord and Savior, our God. We thank you for that cleansing. We thank you for that forgiveness. And Lord, may we find ourselves as your children pushing forward. Pushing forward in our walk with you. Try us in the fire, Lord. Make us, mold us into who you want us to be. Change our heart, O God, so we can be like you. May that prayer be on our lips. May we go out of here this morning. May we walk through life shouting out, the Lord is our God. Never wavering, never holding back, never turning aside with our eyes fixed on you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the protection you continue to place over our lives, the hedge of protection. We will continue to trust in you, to keep our eyes fixed on you. Even in our frailties, Lord, and our sicknesses, Lord, we thank you for speaking to us, for showing us your way. Again, I thank you for the gift of salvation that you've given to each and every one of us. May we accept that gift and walk with you. You're a great God. We love you. We serve you. 
We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And be blessed by God. The Lord is our God. Amen.